I'm actually, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm closing in on a dog. Uh, I've been talking about getting a dog. Yeah, I haven't been taking it lightly, because uh, I've seen people bring home a rambunctious little pup, and it doesn't work out all the time. You got to know your situation. You got to know what you could do. I'm working with an animal shelter right now in the area. You know what I mean, man? It's it, I think it, it all, it's all coming together, but I got to make sure that the yard and the house is ready and everything, man. You got a dog down there? Yeah. Speaking of uh, dogs, I we just got a new neighbor moved in across the street, and yeah. there's like... I don't know, there's a hole in the fence, and they have this little dog, and he comes and shits on my fucking lawn. Oh. And uh, right now, I don't even have a fence right now, because I got my own construction happening. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. So, yeah, vulnerable uh, to little, little dogs taking... I thought you were going somewhere nice with the little dog and the neighbor, and then it just it all went <laughs> shitty real quick. No, right? I just felt like... Uh, I felt very disrespected the other day, because this dog comes into my <clears throat> backyard... And I walked yeah. out and I said, you know, I'm thinking, oh, let me uh, say hello to this little dog and maybe point him in the right direction. I go outside and he's barking at me on my own property. Oh, boy. So I just closed the door. I said, good luck, buddy. I mean, where, where you're living right now, you could probably legally just shoot the dog. Yeah, probably. No, come on. Come on. I'm just, I don't advocate any. It's the Heavy Hole Podcast. That was a joke, animal lovers. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Back, my co-host, Tom Saltman. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me, Will. It's good to be here again. Yeah, th- yeah. Thanks, thanks for having you. Like you're, you're the, behind the scenes, one of the most crucial members of the team. MVP. Tom is back at it again, man. We 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 miss you up here, and you're gradually adding decor to that room as the uh, months go by. Kind of, yeah, I guess so. You had the picture of the dog. I think you have one more guitar now, and oh, you have yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, that, that um, well, that's an old guitar, but you know these hangers—they just you buy one and they multiply like rabbits. These little—you uh, have some sort of sacred math image behind you, some sort of, uh, or maybe it's one of those things where you stare at it and go cross-eyed and you see a secret image. This thing, this is a, a sound panel I made with a nice little uh, flowers and bees tapestry. Um, it's oh, actually okay. themed throughout the. Is that what those are, flowers and bees? I jumped right to ancient well, Egypt and, um, well, I can take my scrying. word for it. There, there's about seven more of them. No, eight more of them here to deaden the sound to get a real say, nice, why is, tight why is, tone. I was going to say, why has it got to be seven, man? You're creeping me out with these these uh, these solar panels. Maybe I've been listening to too much blood incantation. I, I was just going to say, man. <clears throat> Jeez. What's been going on down there? How, how you been, man? What What's new? I'm good. I'm busy. Um, just hanging out. I'm drawing a lot. I'm trying to, I don't know. I feel kind of retired down here. I think I said that last time, but it's holding up. It's good. Everything's cool. Uh, Gab's in Atlanta right now, so I have a house to myself. So uh, whatever you that, think I'd be doing, I am doing that. Um, uh, I don't and, see a bottle of scotch out anywhere. Okay, here's the thing. I haven't drank in like a month and a half. Which is a oh boy, for me. yeah. No, that's good. That's why you're allowed back on the podcast. Actually, yeah. you met, you met, you met the current, you met the requirement that the lawyers gave you last time. Shout out yep. to our lawyers. I got the sign off from the rehab facility. Yeah, man. He said I he told, could talk t- about death metal a little bit. I said this guy needs to edit it every week, man. Let him come on and talk shop every once in a while, man. You're you're killing me over here, man. If it doesn't sound good, it's because I'm shaking. But anyway, all right. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, man? What's it like up north? <laughs> um, it's still cold. 
the uh, the sun has come out a little bit now that I'm done with all the yard work cleaning. I was telling you I'm, I'm cleaning up a little bit out there, getting things ready. I'm building I, I'm building a Hugo culture. You know what that is? No, I have no idea. It's uh like a old old school German traditional um gardening uh, uh kind of like kind of raised bed structure you make you bury some logs in the ground and um you cover it you know you cover it with sticks and calm there's layers to it there's a science to it you know you cover it up until you have this big hill and it's a natural culture of composting uh goodness to, to grow all your vegetables on man yes I'm, I'm very excited about that with the uh, I'm waiting for the cold to break, and that's going to be my first big project for the spring, man. Yeah, because it's I've I've the listeners already know, Tom. I've already talked about this. It's going to look at this point. It's probably going to look like I murdered someone who's eight feet tall and buried them in the middle of my backyard, and then proceed to grow vegetables on them. All right. Uh, it, yeah. I, I, what I'm imagining sounds kind of fun, though. Uh, are you Come. chopping these logs down yourself? Or are you going to go forage? And, and uh, um, jack your way around. Whoa, whoa. It's a family show, Tom. Um, I'm picturing that scene in Step Brothers, you know, where Will Ferrell, Lumberjack, where Will Ferrell busts in on the on the psychiatrist in a daydream. No, I my Lumberjack skills are not that, that well-developed. I actually sourced a few from uh, um, curbside pickup, uh, you know, through the last few years. I've ca- I've I've collected logs and um, uh, wood for for firewood. I do I do hack them up with the chainsaw for barbecue, like Will Raymer taught me many years ago. But um, and hack them up with the axe for we make our own firewood here. But there's a you know sometimes you get like these knotted up pieces. They're no good. And I got a few few over to the side there that I just decide to dedicate to the Hugo culture because I got enough. Got a pretty big stack of wood over there. So yeah, <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna do it big. Um, but you know, speaking of taking inventory, preparing, uh, talking shop. I mean, I just said talking shop. We're gonna talk about Catacomb Records Record Store right now. All right, you ready? You ready to go shopping with me, Tom? Dude, I need to go shopping. Yeah, bring bring the credit card because you're the one that's retired down there, living the good life. All right, let's do it. This is Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and today I'm joined by Tim Wright of Catacomb Records in Dayton, Ohio. Thank you for your time, Tim. Hey, thank you, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I brought you on because I've been following you guys on social media, and I want to try to branch out this year to some people who are maybe a little bit more behind the scenes rather than just um, you know the guitarists and, and uh, drummers and, and singers of the world. Um, and I noticed you guys are especially curated underground and extreme metal store. I want to get into all that and plug and promote the store and talk about that. But the listeners were know where I always go. Um, are you from uh, a family in which music or in this instance, I'll say record collecting or collecting of some sort was, um, uh, was a big deal for anyone older than you in your generation? Was there anyone that guided your path into this in your family or anyone that steered you towards heavy metal when you were growing up? That's a good question. Uh, so my mom, uh, you know, I was a kid. My mom had some records 
and I inherited those. It was more of the classic rock of her day. Uh, and uh, that's kind of where I started kind of tinkering with records and, and, and having a record collection. But for the most part, when I grew up, uh, really discovering metal and discovering um, metal records was more of just, you know, hanging out with my friends and hearing what they were listening to. And then uh, kind of branching out from there. And at the radio at the time, they, they played a lot of metal bands, a lot of rock bands. So um, there was there was more air airtime for bands like that. So but my mom was really an influence on music with me and and kind of helping me learn about, hey, there's music out there. And it wasn't so much metal it was like, again, more of the pop of her time, the Beatles and and things like that. But that psyche, you know, late Beatles sound kind of led me into discovering Black Sabbath as an example and Led Zeppelin. And and uh, that's kind of the start of it for me. OK, and. Uh, then tell, tell me about when things take a turn for the more, uh, extreme and, uh, and for, and for heavy metal and the, the type of stuff your mom probably wasn't, uh, too into. Yeah, for sure. She was not into it. <laughs> I, she got really, I mean, again, it was the satanic panic era, right? So yeah. everything was Satan and, and it was dark. And so really for me, it was discovering bands, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal was hitting the U S and so you had Iron Maiden, you had Judas Priest, uh, Saxon was coming in. And so, you know, getting bands like that and then discovering UFO, um, that was really a, a start for me of getting into the heavier sound and the heavier music. And of course, my mom was not a fan of that. Uh, she did not, you know, she was worried about, you know, the covers and, you know, the black t-shirts. Uh, but really the extreme side for me was once I graduated from high school, went in the Navy, I had a really good friend that I was in the Navy with. He was into punk. And he was introducing me to bands like uh, the Misfits and Sex Pistols, and I had never heard anything like that. And then we both kind of went on this journey of, oh, wow, there's this, you know, more heavier music out there that we really didn't know about. And uh, it was our time in Chicago and in Philadelphia that really started Chicago was really when the industrial scene was starting to pop up. So Wax Tracks was happening, Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, and so that more heavy sound uh, was happening and then fear factory of course but but then on, on the flip was i started to discover death metal that had that had been coming out of the u.s uh so bands like death obituary that was really the start for me of finding more of the extreme metal was that florida death metal scene that was really just starting to to kind of brew up in that 89 90 period at least for me that was when i was discovering it and then it just uh, from there it was okay this is really cool but what else is there and then it was just this journey of let's go let's go find more of this and um going to record stores and asking questions about where do i find more bands like this and then kind of getting put on a path so being in the navy and being stationed in different places allowed you to see different emerging local music scenes and see and get yeah. to different record stores absolutely yep so being able to at a very young age, see those scenes kind of pop up, see those venues, um, go to live shows, and then find out, hey, there's this record store, you know, uh, there was one down on South Street, uh, which I think now it was Vinyl Altar, it's been there for forever, a couple decades, I believe. But um, going into those record stores and talking to other people that were in there and saying, hey, really new to this, but looking for this music, and either the staff that was working there or people that were in there buying stuff were directing me. And then it was just, okay, you know, 
like a you know fat kid at a buffet as much as I could eat, <laughs> right? And just buying more music and digging into it and getting um, at that time the the demo tapes, the mixtapes that were that were being mailed out and shared. So you know having a bunch of those and and getting turned on to a lot of different bands and finding Deicide and and Slayer and uh, again Metallica, all those bands just kind of forming who I was at that time. Uh, it was it was a really cool time for me to just be on that discovery. All right. And, and was the, because, because, you know, you now um, have the record store, but was the, the collecting and have having, you know, physical records or, or any physical medium, was that always an important part of it to you or does that develop over time? Oh no, it was, I mean, early on as a kid, I can remember sitting there and listening to a record and just having, you know, if it was a gatefold, you'd have the gate open and you'd have, if it had printed sleeves, you'd pull those out you'd be listening to it and you'd be looking at the pictures and you'd read through the lyrics and, you know, the thank yous on the, the sleeve and just kind of immersing yourself in that entirety, everything within that album. And to me, that was the cool part was you just got to kind of put yourself into that record for the hour that you got to listen to it. And the more, you know, the more I collected, the more it was, okay, you know, just looking at all the small things were on the record or what was being, um, promoted on the record, or if there were bands that were being thanked, a lot of times bands had shout outs and it's like, okay, cool. I've never heard of this band before. Who's, who's this creator band or who's destruction. And then that also took you in another direction of, okay, there's, there's more bands out there. So I always, I always like to have the media. Um, and I know there later on in life when streaming became more of a bigger thing and people were getting rid of their their CDs and their records and, and cassettes and whatnot, just going all digital. It was still a very hard thing for me. I mean, there was some things I got rid of, but I never got rid of everything. Mm. So did, did you find that maybe, um, I'm thinking maybe like 15 years ago ish when a lot of people were getting rid of stuff and records hadn't really come back to popularity like they are now. Did you find that you were able to score some good records off of people that were getting rid of everything? You know, I, at that time I, I wasn't out as heavy. I mean, I had a, a wife and a daughter at the time that was a lot younger. And so um, you know, picking up CDs here and there, picking up cassettes, um, but I wasn't buying as much as I was later on once my, once my daughter became an adult uh, or, you know, hit those later teen years where I could actually start to, to dig more into the music. Uh, but I had kept a lot of the, the things that were super important to me. I held on to those. I didn't get rid of them. But I know a lot of people were just dumping records and they were just stupid cheap. I kicked myself because I probably could have really picked up some really good stuff back then. Yeah, that was that was an interesting era with the CD warehouse places um, and, and stuff like that. So but then like kind of lead us up then, because I um, like I said, there was a period where records, uh, you know, fell. I know I, I speaking just from here in Long Island, New York, uh, a lot of record stores closed and then some and then a, a lot more emerged the last few years. Uh, take us through like that period and lead us up to like, first of all, um, is Catacomb Records the first record store you've you've worked for or been part of or curated or anything? So when I was when, when I got out of the Navy, um, I came home. And, you know, I was just looking for something very chill. You know, I'd been uh, in, in the Navy for, for four years and I was just looking for like a low key, relaxed type of job. And so when I came back home, um, there was a local mall and there was a record store there. And I just got a job in there part time. I just wanted something to kind of 
to relax. And I worked there just kind of part-time learning about, you know, how to sell records and how to manage, uh, you know, a day-to-day record store, if you will, just by working in it. I, I did that for a better part of a year and then kind of turned around and, and started going back out and working again. But that was my first experience in it. And I loved it. It was great because every week we we're getting promos sent to us. Uh, it was around the time that that Seattle alt rock scene was coming out. The grunge rock scene was coming out. So you had Soundgarden, you had uh, Alice in Chains, different bands like that were coming out. And so really discovering some of that music in the, in the record store. But that was, that was kind of my start of learning about, about what I wanted, you know, at least how a record store should run. And then you're right. There was a time that everything started closing where it was like, you would go to a record store, try to find a good place and they were gone. Or you had a good place that you know of and you go back to them and the doors would be closed. And it's like, damn, how, where am I supposed to get my records at? And especially for a metal head, you know, most record stores, metal was just a bin or two or, a, you know, a shelf or two of metal CDs. And it wasn't really deep. And so it was, it became very difficult to find, you know, some of the, the harder to, to get metal for a lot of years. And it was very, very frustrating uh, at that time. It was the probably late nineties, early 2000 periods where it was just going away. And um, it, it, it really sucked. They really sucked. So, um, in the years leading up to Catacomb Records, are you like a private collector who's built up a big collection and you're saying to yourself, I should, you know, like the next logical step is to, you know, open a store or, you know, like, like, like take, take me through the lead up to Catacomb Records. Sure. So, you know, I'm, as I'm slowly collecting my records and getting my record collection, um, you know, I'm buying more and I, most of it is imports through Europe. So I'm, I'm going direct, you know, as the web starts to grow, as online becomes more of a thing, I'm going out and I'm ordering, but you know, there's still some record stores in my area that I support that I go to looking for, for records. And every once in a while they would get some metal in, but it wasn't a whole lot. And so through the years, again, I'm buying all the underground magazines. I'm buying my record collection. I'm slowly expanding it but I'm wanting to see a record store in my area really to cater to the music that I'm looking for. And again, there are a few that have metal selections, but they're not as deep as what I was looking for. And I know there was, you know, one store in particular I went to and and talked to uh, the owner about expanding uh, the metal selection that he had. And it was, you know, I pretty much got the thanks, but no thanks. Right. Hey, you know, we have our clientele, we know what sells for us. We do have a metal selection, but uh, we're not really going to expand into that area. You know, this is pretty much what you get. And so there was a lot of frustration because I wanted to support local stores, but I really wasn't able to find it. And then I started going to metal festivals in Europe. I'd always wanted to go to Inferno Fest in Norway. And Maryland Death Fest had been on my, my radar for years. I've been going there for like four or five years buying metal records at the festival. It was great because you're surrounded with all these metal heads and all these vendors were showing up and, and labels and they're selling stuff direct there. And they all kept saying, Hey, if you think this is great, go to the festivals in Europe. Those are spectacular. And I was like, okay. So finally uh, I go to Oslo for Inferno Fest 
and it was it was incredible and uh took a trip to nosebleed records there in oslo and it was it was in that shop very small shop but just wall to wall with metal records metal cds all of the promos and signed stuff up on the walls and it was you know the metalheads were just standing at the door in a line to get in this place and when i got in and i'm walking around and i'm digging i'm, I'm down in the basement digging i'm upstairs it was it just kind of hit me then it was like you know this is really cool and it sucks because the only place you can really get it is in norway it'd be really cool if we had a shop like this in the u.s and I just started thinking about it. I started thinking about it, thinking about it. And that was really where the seed was planted when, when I was in Oslo and I came back and I was like, you know, I think the metal community here would support something like this. Uh, are you, now the story is in Dayton, Ohio, right? That's correct. Are you originally from Dayton? So I'm originally from a small town outside of Dayton uh, called New Carlisle. And so I, I grew up there as a kid. I went to high school there. And then uh, went in the Navy and came back home, got married and moved to the Dayton area right after I got married. And we've, we've lived here um, since I was married and my daughter was born here and went to school here, went to college here. So I, I've been in the area for, for quite a few years now. Okay, because what, what I'm getting around to is I wanted to ask you about the metal scene there. I would imagine for you to even own and operate a brick and mortar record store you would have to have a pretty healthy underground metal community there. And you've obviously lived there for quite some time. Maybe you just want to talk about how the metal scene is, um, you know, kind of, I guess you could say ebbed and flowed through the years and uh, what it's like for you now. Yeah. I mean, so there was a, a long time where there were a lot of metal bands rolling through Hair arena was a big stop for a long time for metal in this area. So, you know, Sabbath and priest uh, Testament, all rolled through Hera in, in the the 80s. So Dayton was really thriving at that time uh, for metal and for rock in this area. And then Hera Arena closed. I can't remember exactly when they closed, but it really hurt as far as getting the larger acts to come through because they would usually be the Cleveland, Dayton, Cincinnati stop. It would just be the run right down the state. And then it became the Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati run so we kind of lost we were losing out so to go get shows you'd have to travel so we're going down south or up into columbus to see shows but we're still getting quality uh metal shows that are running through bands like sanguisugabog or 200 stab wounds frozen soul all those bands are still uh running through and the metal scene here is, is strong it's just you know covid slowed things down for for a year plus and it was like a hard reboot into getting live shows back up and running. It's taken a while, uh, but we're now seeing it. I think now in the past three months, you know, the announcements that are shows that are happening. Uh, we got flyers coming into the shop, you know, big tours that are happening. I think we're really starting to see the recovery and, and the rebound from, from the shutdowns and really good, really good shows popping up. And there are some small venues in Dayton blind Bob's as an example they really do a lot of smaller metal bands playing out of there. And uh, it, that's a great venue to go and, you know, just hang out, have cheap beers and watch bands play. Uh, but it's, again, it's a smaller, smaller place for sure. Uh, but I think that the metal community here is definitely supporting uh, because we're seeing it from our, from our growth for sure. So. 
Is uh, I could be off. Is isn't the band decrepit? Weren't they originally from Dayton, Ohio? Is is that? I might be wrong on that. I I, I you know I'd have to look them up. I don't know if they were. They they might be. Okay, I'm just kind of yeah, um, picking the stories. But what uh, uh, the reason I the reason I bring that up? I just wanted to get your your um. Uh, your your personal tastes or bands that you've seen from the area, um, you know, what death metal or you know what whatever type of subgenre or, or or metal, like what are what are some local bands that you um you might carry or that you support or you see who are working hard out there? Well, I see the the big one would be saying was Sogabog because they were out of the Dayton Columbus area. Oh, and okay. I've, All right. I've seen uh, so they played Blind Blind Bob's a few years ago. Blood Incantation was down there with them, and it was just like a pop up event. <laughs> and that was just incredible. I mean, those those guys always bring it. And I think that was before they were really signed uh, to a major label. They were still on a smaller label. Uh, and it was the Pornographic Seizures that had come out, that EP that they had put out. And, and that was just a really, really good, solid show. Uh, Maharaja is a doom band that plays out of this area. And they are really, really good live. Um, and, and those guys come through quite a bit and try to catch them as many times as I can. And and they're really kind of pivotal in the metal scene here in the Dayton area. So, uh, but those are the two big ones I think that come up come to my head, just sitting here talking with you about it. Yeah. I've, I've met the Sanguasuga guys, man. I, I enjoy that band. I like what they do. Um, yeah. I, yeah, the really intense, right. live, great energy live, great entertaining band live. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and the, uh, they they do some different things with their covers for sure, uh, their their album covers. So I mean it, it's it's always fun to see some of the stuff that they do with their sleeves, and they just they have a lot of fun with it. So I know a lot of bands want to stay, you know, extreme and hardcore and very. I don't know if it's, you want to call it true, but those guys are just there having a really really good time with with their music. So that's that's refreshing. There's there's always going to be uh, room for just the straight you know, black shirt, white ink bands. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's a uh, bread and butter of, of underground metal. But I was just, I, I was just looking at their, uh, Sanguasuga Bob had like a, a big merch drop, um, on social media. I was looking at all these crazy shirts that they had. They're just always doing something different, man. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, for sure. you talked a little bit about going to Europe and going to these fests. Um, I mean, you, you had been in the Navy. I assume you had been used to traveling, a little bit from that experience, but I mean, to yeah. go, to go to Europe and go to these, these, these metal fests for, uh, I've never been for a lot of us, like American metalheads. That's like the Holy grail experience. That's like the bucket list thing. Uh, you mentioned infernal fest in Norway. I know that's like a very heavily cult black metal themed sure. one. A lot of like your, your classic um, uh, bands. I'm sure played. Maybe if you just want to like relate a little bit of, about of that experience and any other European uh, fest that you might want to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, Inferno is great. And, you know, the, you know, getting the, the travel there, the, the round trip ticket, again, it's, it's not too painful. It's about a, a nine hour flight uh, to get there. Um, not horrible. Right. Uh, and it's when you go to Inferno, it's right at the end of winter, beginning of spring. So it's going to be still a little snowy, a little bit cold or rainy. Uh, but for me, going to Oslo and, you know, I love black metal. And so being able to walk through Oslo and just kind of see the grayness of the city, really, you kind of start to feel where some of these black metal artists were inspired for some of the things that they were writing. Um, and it, it's, it's amazing if you're a, a, you know, someone who loves black metal, just to go and walk through Oslo, even if it's 
you know, a bit chilly and a bit rainy, just, you know, dress appropriately for it. But going to the festival itself, everyone there was amazing. Uh, everyone was super nice. You know, I talked to a lot of people and in Norway, uh, English is really a second language for those people. So if someone approaches you and starts speaking Norwegian, if you say, sorry, I'm English, they'll immediately shift and start to speak English with you and um, ask you about where you're from in the States. Very nice, easygoing people. Um, the metal scene there is really healthy. And, um, you know, just walking into Inferno and seeing the bands there and then you're standing in line to get a beer and, oh, that's Frost standing right next to you, getting, you know, something to drink as well. And, you know, Hellhammer's behind you in line with his friends so all of these these guys that are in bands are there watching their friends play or the bands that are going to play that weekend they'll be walking around the festival watching people get tattoos or you know seeing some of the art that's being displayed and they're very approachable you can walk up to them and talk them talk to them if you've got sleeves you know album sleeves you want to get signed you can get stuff signed um, so i met tom warrior from celtic frost uh in oslo that first year i went and I had my Celtic frost sleeves. I walked up, introduced myself, asked him if he would sign my sleeves. He was very kind. He did right on the spot. Um, so that to me, the culture there is a lot different. And uh, as long as you approach people very respectfully, um, they're, they're always willing to talk to you and, and spend time. And so, you know, I went to, to Inferno that first year and it was such an incredible experience because everyone was so nice. I uh, got to see so much cool stuff, went on the black metal tours, got to see, uh, you know, where some of the recordings were done and things like that, learned a ton Then I went back the next year. And then um, th that would have been this year. And I also went to Beyond the Gates in Bergen as well. And so Bergen in July, um, again, July here, we're in 90 degree weather. Bergen, I think it was 62 was the high. So it was just an amazing experience. Again, everyone was super nice um doing the black metal tours and seeing you know recording studios and some of the the world war ii bunkers where some of those early mayhem uh photo sessions were taken being able to go through those and see that just an incredible experience and again I, if anybody listening to this i highly recommend if, if you get a chance to go to any festival in in norway i would go i would take that trip for sure because uh, you'll, you'll have an amazing time. You meet some really good friends, see some bands live that you probably won't see here in the U.S. that would have a hard time getting visas. Um, and, and just it, it will be worth it'll be worth the trip for sure. Amazing. So I, it makes perfect sense that they would, but I had never thought that they would offer guided tours of places that were significant in black metal history. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That, that's like an official thing that you can people could look this up or is this like, you, you know, you, yeah. you knew somebody. Yep. No, it's, it's so for Inferno and for beyond the gates, if you go to those festivals, websites, there are guided tours there. Wow. And so uh, for beyond the gates, you know, you, you go to one of the ruins that was used by Immortal for, for one of their albums when they did the cover. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the album off the top of my head, but they'll take you to the ruins. You get to see where that was, where that photo session was done. You get some backstory as well. Um, and then for, for that tour, um, they actually had access into the bunkers that Euronymous 
uh, and Mayhem had used to do some of those early photo shoots. And so you get to go through that German bunker complex, uh, which is, it's pretty, pretty spectacular if you're a history buff to kind of go in yeah. there and see some of that, but also as a black metal history tour to go through and see those rooms where the photos were taking. And, you know, you're like, yep, that's where Euronymous was standing right there when they shot that, that famous picture of him and huh. the, in his, in his cape and whatnot. It's really kind of neat to, to experience that. And they're not horribly expensive. It's about an hour or two of your time and um, it's well worth it. And, and the Oslo tour um, in Norway that they have a museum there, a cultural museum that you can go through and they actually have the black metal exhibit that was up. And so they had like the original door um, from, um, it was nosebleed. It was prior to nosebleed. It was um, Helvec. So they had the original door for Helvec on display, which was Euronymous's store. And they had the original masters for uh, De Mysterious uh, in a case. They had the original recording equipment. Um, so you get to learn a lot of history. You look at the art, the cover art uh, that was developed by Yannicka uh, for a lot of those bands that, that is on display. A lot of interviews that, that are posted up in English and in Norwegian. So you can actually read them. And uh, really just kind of get to see some of that stuff face to face for the first time. So, you know, a first press of Death Crush sitting in a, a case, you know, with the original uh, purple sleeve, you know, only a thousand were ever made it. And they've got one on display in, in a case there. So just stuff like that, that as, a, you know, someone in the U.S. getting really close, being able to see some of that history firsthand. It's just absolutely incredible. It's it's amazing. The difference in cultural attitudes towards towards metal you know i, I mean uh, you know we always hear yeah. that it's more appreciated in in europe and i uh, you know it's kind of like taken for granted that in the united states it's more about pop music and rap and country music um but that what you just said really paints a vivid picture that's interesting man well and, and so we were told too that you know the diplomats in norway actually go through a black metal class taught by black metal artists because in Norway, you know, it is it is viewed as a cultural export. And so they want their ambassadors to understand and know black metal. So they go through a, a course to learn about the history, because, again, they're going to have somebody ask them about the church burnings. Uh, you know, they're going to talk about the murders. They're going to talk about the darkness of it. And so they need to understand the culture of that time. And so, yeah, these diplomats go through this, they get trained, and then black metal artists in Norway now actually get a stipend from the government that helps them live so they can produce the music and still have a, a living there um, within Norway. So I thought that was really cool as well as that artists are recognized at that level. Black metal artists are, are recognized and, and are encouraged to continue to develop their music and their art. I'm glad somebody in the um, the underground metal uh, uh, ex experience is getting that, man, because we're not getting it over here in Long Island, New York. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no that's interesting, though, man. It really, <clears throat> really making me uh, wager how I'm going to uh, uh, spend my vacation uh, uh, time off for work uh, this year, man. I really that, that's that's yeah. that's amazing. Um I've always, I'm a little bit more on the grindcore and and brutal death metal side of side of things as much as I do enjoy black metal. I've always wanted to go to uh, the obscene extreme festival 
Um, uh, are you familiar? I, I, I don't know that you've been, but are you familiar with that one? I think it's in the Czech Republic. Yeah, so I've seen the Flyers. I've never been. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know that there's some real heavy death metal bands that use are on that lineup for sure. Yeah, that's that's my like bucket list thing. I know. I, I try to remember the the one festival that's in the Fortress in the Czech Republic. Oh, that is it. It's fuck the commerce. I think is in Germany. What's uh, it's not obscene extreme. It's there's yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, this is bugging me because I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If the list, I've got a lot. I've got I, a lot of friends that went to that and they said yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, if the listeners want to know, actually, we had uh, Ronnie and Danny from Malignancy. A very several years ago on on the show, one of our first episodes, they related walking around like those old uh, uh, bunkers and and whatever was there, um, uh, and and getting drunk and hanging out when they played that festival. So it's um, if you want to know the name of the fest, listen to that episode because I forgot off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I think Steel Fest is in Finland too, if I, if I remember mm-hmm. correct, and uh, that's another one that I've had some friends who are in New York that have went to that festival and they posted pictures up. And the lineups always look incredible. Uh, and then, of course, you know, just being able to be in Finland and, and check things out there, walk around, see sites, uh, have good food and beers and and just do, you know, the whole experience. So I, I got a whole bucket list of, of stuff I want to do for sure. But, uh, you know, Finland, the Czech Republic, definitely those those are big hitters for me. I want to I want to get there within the next three to five years. Yeah, Finland, uh, not necessarily um, as notorious a reputation with the black metal thing, but I've always got the impression that um, it's it's similarly regarded, in, like culturally, you know what I mean? And, and, and turn, you know, like heavy metal is, has a similar following over there. Those those dark Scandinavian countries where it's where uh, they don't see sunlight for a while, you know, they, they they appreciate metal more. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think there there there's a lot of support for the black metal scene. And Finland and death metal. So, um, I, I I do believe the Scandinavian countries for sure embrace that metal uh, a lot more than, than we do here. So, while we're talking about Finland, I'm pretty sure I saw on your Instagram that you were jamming a copy of Demolich's demo and Impaled Nazarene's demo a few weeks ago, right? I was. Yeah. Oh, did yeah. you did you get those back in the tape trading days? What's the story with those? No. So. Um, the the demi lich i've had for a while i had picked it up in a collection mm. and um when i went to maryland death fest and demi lich played there i had vip pass that at that festival and so i went up and had that autographed by the band which he was kind of they were kind of shocked that i had brought their their demo with me to get that signed yeah um yeah. And, and then the impaled nazarene i actually picked that up in oslo at auction uh, there was a metal auction happening and that was one of the the items that was put up on the auction block and that was uh they were doing like a charity auction and and there were some people that brought in some stuff as well and so i bought that at that auction uh and at that same auction um it was right around the time that uh russia had invaded the ukraine and so um they had brought in a copy of Burzum's first album. It was a first press and it was owned by Mannheim. So Mannheim was there. He'd actually put it up on the auction block and it was gifted to him by Euronymous in 94. 
and he had wrote a letter, you know, kind of outlining all of this. And he wanted all of the proceeds for that records auction to go to the Ukrainian Relief Fund. And so I won that that auction. I, I won that album. And so I got to actually hang out with with Maniac and Mannheim in Oslo after I bought that record and um, got to sit and talk to them for a while and have beers and, and became, you know, chatty. You know, I wouldn't say we're like really good friends, but, you know, if I see him in public, I would assume I'd probably be able to walk up and and jump back in. But it was really cool to bring that piece of metal history back as well. And I think, you know, looking at my shop and what we're doing, I have so much in display in the shop that's pieces of metal history. I think eventually that album with that letter from from Mannheim talking about that album uh, will eventually be on display once I get a larger shop. I think I'll put that up so that everybody can kind of see it and, and kind of experience it. But um, it was very neat to, to talk to him and uh, his 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 view on Varg is not very good. <laughs> I'll just say that he, he wasn't really a fan of Varg. Uh, and so thus the the uh, donation to the Ukrainian Relief Fund as a way of kind of giving a smack to Varg to say, you know, we know that you kind of support Putin. So we're going to sell your album and donate the money to to the Ukraine. Wow. That, that's a pretty interesting story. Um, with with things like that in your collection, do you ever feel a conflict about what remains in your collection and what you can put for sale in the store? I do. Absolutely. Um, so so that album, that that Burzum album, I you know, when I was talking to to Mannheim and to, to Maniac and a, a couple others, you know, they told me, they said, hey, you, this is a piece of metal history. You know, you're being entrusted with this. Don't sell it. And so I was like, okay, that's a lot. I mean, that was a lot to be told by, you know, some of these people who are like founders in, in the, the black metal community to be like, you got to hold on to this. Take it and show it, you know, let people see this, but don't just put it on an auction block and sell it because you want to make some money. So that one to me is special. There's a few other items that are in my collection that are special that I would never sell. When I did open the store, I did prune my record collection down about 15, 20% to kind of get that kickstart into the store. So getting more of that used older school stuff. I mean, I had some, um, some death albums that were first pressed that went in. I had some first press obituary that I let go of, uh, all my first press metallic I put in, but I had also had represses or remasters of those albums in my collection. So I wasn't losing anything per se. I was giving up the first presses, which I know the record collectors that are listening to this is like, damn it, <laughs> that's a lot to give up. But it was also for the store. Um, and so I was, you know, feeding the the store to say, hey, I want this to really be successful. Let me put something into the shop. And so there's always that when I'm going through my collection and looking, it's like, well, have I listened to this in three or five years? You know, what's the deal with that? Um, and then if I'll give it a spin and if there's no real nostalgia to me, it's there's stuff like that I can let it go. But there are a lot of pieces that I, I just can't, for sure. It, it's very tough. Yeah, I, I can only, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a collector my, myself. I can, I can only imagine, <clears throat> you know, trying to part with some of those, some of those things that you know could could bring in, you know, some business, but the um the 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 emotional attachment, so to speak. Um, so with you, you mentioned this auction. I assume you do buy out a lot of personal collections 
Um, you know, I've seen on, on, on your social media, like there's probably people that come in with a box of their old CDs and things like that. I'm always interested in that. Like you had a huge industrial CD collection, a big box of stuff that came in. I I think a a few weeks or a few months ago, I saw an IG, uh, like someone like that, like not, not that you would really be privy to their private life, but I'm just like curious when someone gets, is, is that somebody who's just like done with the music? They've, they've, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into that person's private business, but it's like the, that mentality of like, if I just had a, got rid of all this right here, it would mean something significant happened in my life or I just had a total, total, I'm wondering like, did people find God? Did they retire and move to, to move? Like, well, a uh, former guest to the show, Von Young from Deadin, he's on yeah. Facebook selling a lot of his collection now because he's also, um, you know, he's moving, he's transitioning in his life. He retired, I guess, or something like that. So there's like things like that. I'm just like, do you ever get people that are like, well, I'm, I'm finally doing it, man. I'm buying the boat and they're, they're, they got the record for you or something like that. That's a, you know, that's a really good question. I, uh, that one in particular, that industrial collection, um, person that comes into my shop, they're, they're a frequent, uh, customer of ours. And, you know, I'll always tell our customers, Hey, if you've got CDs or LPs stuff that you want to sell, um, we're interested in getting that. And that person was really digitizing a lot of their stuff. So they had moved to more digital format, um, trying to, you know, clean out, some of the stuff, some of the things that they were storing and had brought in a large chunk of industrial prior to that part of the collection dropping. And he had approached me and said, Hey, I've got another, you know, big stack of stuff that I'm ready to part with. And I was like, that's perfect. You know, we've got black Friday coming up. So let's, let's take a look at it. And, um, he, he brought it in and it was, yeah, it was a lot of first press wax tracks, CDs. Um, and yeah, we, we scored the entire collection from him (laughs) and and put it out. But I think in that case, it was more of just trying to free up some space. I haven't had anybody come in and say they found God and they want to (laughs) sell everything. Uh, most of the time, uh, it's somebody, you know, they're going to come in with a crate and say, Hey, I, um, I want to get some new metal. I've had these in my collection for a long time. I don't listen to them as much anymore. You know, those new Opeth remasters just dropped and they're super expensive. I want to get those. I, I'm going to part with these and do a trade. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, it, but it's usually mostly that where somebody comes in, they want to get new stuff to put into their collection. They don't have a lot of free capital. And so they'll they'll bring in their records to do a trade. And uh, we, we try to make sure that uh, we really treat people well when they're bringing their their good stuff in for sure. Yeah, um, just just something that popped into my head. Um, you know, as a as a collector myself, I've I went through like a, a purge period a few years ago where I got rid of a lot of stuff. Um, uh, I just had too much, too much. You know, like like I I trimmed down so I was able to kind of build this closet behind me and, and curate things better. And my friend, um, I sold a few used things to my friend Mike from Paragon Records here on Long Island. That's a label and online shop. But um, something he said to me really flipped the whole way I look at it. He was like, he was like, look, you know, it, if somebody else is going to buy it, they're going to listen to it. They're going to value it maybe more than it's, you know, sitting on my shelf for five. If I haven't listened to something that's been sitting on the shelf for four or five years and I haven't even looked at it and there's somebody out there who would pay good money, like that's let them enjoy it, you know, give it new life, you know, just like anything yeah. else. I, I guess that's, that, that's kind of like a big deal with what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it, it's perfect, right? So I know a lot of us, me particular, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my record room surrounded by all these metal records 
And, you know, a lot of times I'll sit in here and be like, there's no way, you know, that I could play every one of these records in a year. It's impossible. And do I really need this many records? And and the answer is yes, I do. <laughs> but it's also like there's some of them in here that, you know, to let somebody else have it in their collection and enjoy it and know that when they got that record, that record would be on spin for weeks, right? It would be on their their playlist over and over again. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And I, I know a lot of us, we get really hung up into the, oh, I need to get this pressing of this album or I want, you know, I went on a thing where I wanted all Japanese pressings of the early Kiss albums. So I went on a hunt for all of those and, and was buying those because I really wanted good sounding Kiss albums because I love Kiss. I mean, that early, those early Kiss years were great. Um, and my albums were beat to hell. And I'm like, do I go out and get the remasters or I just get a really nice Japanese pressing? And I decided to put the money in and get those pressings. But I think that's a, a very valid point to say, hey, don't don't be afraid to let things go because it's weird. We we let those things go and six months later you see another copy someplace and it's like, I never thought I would have seen that record again. And here it is somehow popping up back on my radar that I could that I could score another copy of this if I want it. So and it's really nice to be able to offer that to people because people will come in and tell me, I've been looking for this record for X amount of years and and you've got it sitting in your bin. So it's really nice when when that happens, when we see somebody kind of light up and go, yes, a grail item. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. It's a good feeling, man. Um, uh, all right. So uh, just for the listeners again, um, we're, we're talking about Catacomb Records in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I encourage every, anyone in the area to, to stop in. Um, if you're traveling and, and you're in Dayton, I want people to check that out. Check them online. And you do you do have a Shopify where you sell certain items online, no? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so people can check you out on um, uh, look for Catacomb Records Dayton on um, Instagram uh, and look for the what's the what's the website uh, in general? It's catacomb-records.com. So if they go there, uh, they they can check us out, and uh, all the links for all of the the Shopify everything is is directly off that website. So catacomb-records.com. Okay, fair enough. So people can check that out. And you also have uh, something I appreciated when I checked out the website before. You had a, a grading guide. You kind of like a very um, kind of like 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 with, with some personal examples, like like take on on the, the you know the very good, good mint, all those different grades of, of records and how people come to those conclusions. Um, that sort of thing. That's like a that's one thing about like operate like everyone wants to you know everyone has like a fantasy about having a record store if they're an underground metalhead but like when you get into that grading and that sort of thing that can be kind of uh, tricky you know because you you might have people that try to like sell you records and it's it's debatable about what condition they're in does that happen yeah we so that happens quite a bit you know we have somebody come in um whether they get the records they find it in you know somebody's collection or they've had it for a while and they're, they're going to want to bring that in to us. We're going to take a look at it. Uh, the gold mine grading standard, really the gold mine grading guide is, is what we base our grading off of. And we, we really follow that. And I know Shelby, who's the shop manager, um, her and I were just talking about this, about grading records and making sure that we're all, you know, kind of taking time to grade these appropriately, but we do have a lot of people that come in, They'll see something because it's a first press or they think it's a first press and it's worth a lot of money. And you pull it out and take a look at it and it's just got 
scratches all over the place or the sleeves torn, not really worth a whole lot. Uh, and, and you try to show them, hey, this is what you have. And then take something that's really, you know, BG plus or near mint in the shop and say, and this is what, you know, a higher end record should look like. And, you know, when you kind of walk through that explanation, most of the time they get it. There's still of those few times when they're like, you know, they still want to debate that the record's worth a lot of money or it would play fine. And we could put it on the turntable for people and let them listen to it and hear if it's scratching, which a lot of times if they're really beat up, they will. Mm. Um, but yeah, we really want to make sure that if we're selling stuff out of the shop, uh, that we're selling the best quality and, and we've gotten better. I mean, again, just like any business, you know, we started off and we were learning, we we're learning on the fly. And as we've gotten better and gotten better, uh, I think the quality of our buys have gotten better too. So uh, it's just a, it's just, you know, day to day, work it out, find the best quality stuff we can and, and keep the prices where, you know, again, the used, the, it kind of, the market kind of dictates what the used is, but we still try to make it, you know, median value. We're not going to try to bend people over on the price. Okay. Is it, here's, here's something, um, Something I read that kind of makes sense. If if somebody dies, do their do their records go up in value? Like an art, you know, an artist, an established artist who has a lot of albums out. Say they die, it's in the news. This person passed away. Do their records go up in value? Is that something you've experienced or you've seen? Uh, so yeah, it, it does happen, right? Especially if it's autographed. Now, mm. the problem with autographed records is it's really hard to validate the signature. Um, example was, you know, I had some signed Guar stuff come in and I've got, um, Odorous's signature on some records of my collection. And so I had a person come in, uh, it was, it was that first Guar album they had, it was signed by Odorous and they wanted to sell it. And I said, listen, let me, um, let me go home. Cause I have the same record signed by Odorous. Let me get that record. You come back tomorrow and we'll put these side by side and we'll take a look at them. And so he came back the next day. I had my record. He had his. We set them right next to each other and we were able to look at the signatures. I was like, yep, those are almost spot on. So then at that point, it's like, okay, cool. I know we're dealing with the first press. This is Odorous's signature. Let's work out a price. And, and the price is going to be more because that person is gone. They can't sign things anymore. Um, so, you know, they, they flipped it. And then I had somebody see it online and they quickly ran in and grabbed it because they wanted it in their collection. So for sure, um, records when an artist does pass away, they do go up in value because people are, and if they're signed, they're definitely going to go up in value. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, and what's your, you told that, that Burzum auction story is, t is tough to beat, but what's like your personal experience, um, whether it's going through a collection for your store or, you know, when record hunting just for yourself at one of these festivals, wherever at the thrift store, I don't know. What's your personal, like greatest, oh shit moment where you just, you found something that you didn't expect. And then I'll also ask you like, what's your Holy grail that you're still hoping you can find one day, or you'd be amazed to find. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I, I think the, Oh shit would have been, um, we had a, a lady local who had been, she had been working with some bands. She had done some work with kiss and some other bands back in the nineties. And she had some really interesting pieces in her collection that she was wanting to sell. And she'd come in and talk to me 
and she was she was wanting to move this stuff a lot of signatures didn't know what i was going to get into but i said you know what you have bring it in let's take a look at it and we'll go from there and so um she came in a few days later and she had a drumstick from eric carr that was signed and i i told her so i need to, to validate that this is eric carr's signature and she said oh hold on and she had taken a picture of her and Eric together side by side at that time period. And I was like, yeah, that's Eric Carr. And so uh, she had worked with Kiss. She got to, to spend a lot of time with them. And so she brought that Eric Carr drumstick in and I bought that for myself. I, I was like, yeah, there's no way uh, I'm going to let that. I, I thought about selling it, but I was like, I'll never get another one. Right. Wow. I'll, I'll never get Eric's signature on anything because he's gone. And she had also had um, some stuff from Testament that was signed and it was a release flyer from one of the venues back in the nineties that, that was signed uh, by the entire band. And um, so I bought that and, and picked that up into my collection as well. So I think for me, just seeing the stuff that, especially like autograph stuff or, or things like that that come in, but that Eric Carr was a, was a big one. Cause I was, I, I couldn't let it go. There was no way I could put that out into the shop. Um, Holy Grail for me is and and will be uh, first press of Mayhem Death Crush. Uh, I I know somebody who has a copy in Oslo. Um, he wanted to sell it to me last year because he had showed up in Bergen. Uh, he wanted euros. He wanted it in money in hand. He didn't want to do digital. He wanted he wanted the euros in his hand, and I couldn't get the money out of the bank uh, because again, I'm in a U.S. bank and I'm, I'm in Oslo. And so they had limitations on how much I could pull out. Um, but this album was signed by pretty much everybody in mayhem except Euronymous. And so I was like, yeah, let me get the money. I'm, I'm going to try to get the, the cash for you. And I couldn't. So um, I'm going to try to get that this year when I, when I go back to Oslo and bring that home. But that first press of death crush with that really um, purple pink, cover is is the the grail for me wow In, international uh espionage and it's, it's, it sounds like real sounds, sounds pretty high stakes man it's crazy yeah. um <laughs> that's that's no that's amazing i'm really i really appreciate this. this is an interesting talk and um uh this this kind of insight into the 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 collector's world the, the the black metal collector's world is really interesting i appreciate all that um all right so uh as i said before uh, we appreciate your time uh you've been very generous with your time um and i i want people uh who are in the area especially of dayton ohio to visit uh catacomb records check out catacomb records dayton on ig uh go on the website you can check out some of the stuff they got on shopify and like i warned you before um i i am going to ask you to please recommend one older release and one newer release of music any genre ep demo album anything there's no strict rules we just want to get an older and a newer recommendation to listen to sure well you know we're sitting here talking about about mayhem and we're talking about black metal you know the norwegian black metal scene uh in my mind the the I guess the best black metal album, in, in my opinion, is that Mayhem Day Mysterious, Dom Satanas. Mm. Uh, if you've never listened to that album, I I cannot recommend it enough. It is, it, you know, a must-have for any extreme metal collector. 
and and if you are a black metal fan, you you should listen to that and kind of hear um, where you know that band was really developing, but also developing the black metal genre itself. I mean, so much came from that record and even Death Crush prior to it. But I would say De Mysterious Domslatanus would be the absolute must uh, for an old record for any metalhead that that's listening to this. For a new release. I would say that new dying fetus make them beg for death. Mm. Absolutely brutal album. I cannot get enough of that album. That band, that release is so good. Yeah, I we play it. I bet that thing gets played twice a day in our shop because it's so good. Um, so if you have not listened to that new dying fetus album, do yourself a favor, uh, buy a copy or you know spin it up on digitals and listen to it. Uh, you will not be, you will not regret that time. I, I, um, I own both of those uh, recommendations. I, I love that new dying fetus out. I, I think dying fetus is like on a return to form with this and, and, um, the wrong one to fuck with the one that, that, that was, uh, prior to it. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm more of an old school dying fetus guy from like purification through violence and the old stuff, man. But I really enjoy those new ones. And I, I had to grab this and show you, you, you brought up, um, mayhem, um, the mysteries, Dom Satanus. This is actually one of like the the cooler things in my collection. I don't have a lot of like really rare or anything, but this is a from 1994. Um, it's <laughs> the, the the jewel case isn't in the best shape. It's a Morbid Noise Productions, which is a, a Polish licensed cassette version from '94 of um, Mayhem, the mysteries, Dom Satanus. I got this because a kid uh, who a teenager from Poland who was into heavy metal. Moved to Long Island, New York here and came to my high school and, um, you know, his family moved over here and uh, just, you know, we, we we talked about death metal and I became friends with this kid for a few years. And um, I he I think we were like trading tapes. I don't know. I don't know if I I don't know if this is a legit he gave it to me or if I borrowed it and traded it for him and he has some of my stuff. It was like we were like 15, 16. But he um, this and a few home dubbed Birdsum albums, like just, you know, dubs on cassette that he made me, man. But I, I, I've always had this and treasured this. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Especially when you've got somebody coming over from, you know, Poland and they're, they're giving you a copy of those. I, we had some, some of those Polish, um, cassettes that came in in a collection, we put them out and they did not sit long. I know it seems like cassettes are on a resurgence. People are really jumping all over cassettes nowadays and, and, and buying them up and looking for more cassettes. So I, I think it's very cool that that's happening too, that people are going back to that, to that sound. A little bit rougher, depends on the cassette for sure. But I, I, it's very cool to see kids doing that and then looking for Walkman or some type of uh, device <laughs> to play those cassettes on. So, I uh, yeah, I shared this on. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to turn this into my show and tell, but every you, you keep saying yeah, stuff. I, I was cool. I was at the thrift store. I got uh, I showed this on on the Heavy Hole um, IG two ninety nine each a uh, Sony Walkman and an Iowa Walkman. They both work. So yeah, man. Um, yeah, I think you know what it is because it's like there's this whole resurgence of things that were popular in the '80s and early '90s in general, like in pop culture. And then with heavy metal, the old school is coming back. A lot of bands are doing the old school early '90s thing, and it's also cassettes. I feel like the sound quality is a little rougher, but it lends itself to grindcore and death metal in a way too. You know what I mean? There's kind of like a an, an atmosphere to it. So it's. And and it's cheap, especially for the younger people. You know what I mean? A lot of the teenagers who come to shows, they 
what what we've noticed in my bands is that when you play all ages shows, a lot of the younger people that most of their money was probably spent on the door, you know, to get in. They're they're not buying as much merch, so the tapes are good for that too, you know. Yeah, there's a nostalgia with those tapes for sure, and um, I, I do see that too. A lot of kids that are going to shows they don't have a lot of bread to to throw around, um, so you know they're going to get the ten dollar CD or the the cassette. You know, and again, a lot of kids don't have the turntables, right? That's a big investment. You know, a three hundred dollar turntable or a two hundred dollar turntable, um, some type of amp and speakers to play it through. You know, a lot of these kids are just getting into it, and so they're going to start with small CD player or, or a cassette. And I've seen some companies are actually working on new portable cassette players like a Walkman with a rechargeable lithium ion battery inside of it. A few hundred dollar investment. And now all of a sudden you've got a rechargeable um, device that you plug in, charge overnight, uh, and you don't have to worry about going and buying throwaway batteries anymore. You just keep it plugged in and charged, and and you're good to go. And it's got Bluetooth capable, so you can use your Bluetooth headphones with it. Just pair it to your cassette deck, and all of a sudden you're you're using a modern cassette deck uh, that's portable um, for your older cassettes. So I, I think we're going to see more of that, too, as I've been researching for the shop more companies are going to build devices like that to allow people who are into that older media to continue on. That's very interesting. That sounds like a game changer. I would be very interested in that myself. Cause it's like the, um, uh, that kind of like modern convenience tech convenience, like, you know, the chargeability of, of, and the Bluetooth stuff of like a, uh, a tablet or, or an iPad, an iPad or something, but you know, you can play all your old demos and all your old crusty old grindcore demos from the eighties and stuff, man. Yeah. Legit. Damn, that's cool. All right, so um, uh, uh Tim, again, I, I thank you for your time. I want to be respectful of your time. We really appreciate this. Uh, and you, the door is always open. If you'd ever like to come back on, if you'd like to promote an event or something that's going on with the store, or uh, you know, you mentioned plans to maybe have a different building one day. Whatever the whatever the reason or the case, um, please reach out to me in the future. It's been a great conversation, and we'd love to have you back. Uh, again, I'm going to encourage all the listeners to to check out the store if they're in the area, or check out the website. Go to the Shopify support. Um, any any uh, anything we missed? Anything you want to touch on? Uh, promotions, plugs, shout outs, anything like that before we wrap up? Well, you know, one thing I want to talk about too is you know when we started the shop, um, it was just like this passion project. I didn't think it was really going to take off. You know, having a shop dedicated to extreme metal. And, you know, the support that we've got from the metal community, not only in Dayton, but we've got people that drive three, four hours to come to our shop. I can't thank the metal community enough for being there for us and supporting us, continuing to come in, buy, um, tell, you know, leaving reviews online, say, hey, the shop is great. Keep doing this. And um, what we want to do, because we wanted to have it so that metalheads could come in and hang out. So our, our next step is we want to try to find a building that's double the size and we're going to put in a eight to 10 beer tap. Uh, so not only can you come in and buy records, you can go right across the room and sit down and have a beer and listen to metal too. So uh, that way we can have, you know, bands come in and play. We'll have beer in there. People can sit and chill. So we really want to make it that experience of metalheads can come in and just kind of spend the day and hang out, talk, and, and have a place where they can enjoy a cold beer and not have to be forced to listen to, you know, somebody else's music taste. They can sit and listen to, you know, Priest or Dying Fetus or whatever it is that we're playing that night in the shop. 
So that's our goal is to really to grow to a point where where we can have that type of, of spot for metalheads. I wish you the best of luck with that. That sounds amazing. Um, that sounds great, man. I, I wish there was something like that uh, right around the corner for me over here, man. That's, that sounds like cheers, but for a metalhead kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, that's what we're looking for is the people just want to come in and hang out. And, um, you know, record sales are, are record sales. We have good weeks and we have bad weeks. Uh, but finding something that can supplement that um, where people can come in and chill and, and enjoy a beverage. We think that's the way we want to do it. So, uh, and there's nothing more metal than cold beer. So <laughs> pairs well, <laughs> pairs well, you, you're, you're showing off some, some of the stuff you've learned in uh, Norway um, at those yeah. fest. Uh, all right. Well, Tim, we wish you guys the best of luck in 2024 and we hope to check in again in the future, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on, man. Of course. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and cut it here. If you just want to give me one second real quick, I'll make sure I save everything. Right on. Recording stopped. very much uh to catacomb records from dayton ohio man we really appreciate that tom something else we appreciate and i did request listener voicemails you heard you, you told me uh we got one we do um we got one based on the request it says it right here check it out greetings heavy hole crew this is ezra calling from texas uh will requested some more voicemails so here i am answering the call with Two recommendos for y'all. The first one, this is probably for Rick. Uh, it's the album Air Not Meant For Us by Fires in the Distance. This is uh, melodic death doom. kind of sounds like if you took early in flames or amorphous, added some more acoustic piano, and then played it at quarter speed. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's definitely more highly produced and symphonic than a lot of the stuff I like, but I still found it really uh emotionally investing and uh just a great album and it's still definitely death metal and then on the totally opposite side of the spectrum we've got makeshift crematoria by trichomoniasis which is i believe an std um and this is just the most insane brutal death metal verging on gore noise uh, especially where the snare drum is concerned um, but everything from the song titles to the cover art to the music itself is just completely off the wall bonkers reminds me a lot of uh, Fitzgurgle from Thailand or uh, Undeciphered um, but it, it has its own unique identity and I think it's a perfect example of how artistic and uh, out there death metal can really get well happy new year everybody and uh, thanks again for keeping the podcast going all right, thank you. A longtime supporter, Ezra from Texas, man, uh, coming in with the hot hot recommendations. Um, fresh fresh voicemail for the new year. Tom, um, do you have either of those queued up? Could we could we play a sample either of those? Do I have them queued up? What kind of question? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, first, one. I, I asked 
I'm so, I asked Dave if he had them queued up once, and he he lifted his cat up to the screen. I was like, I was like, no, I, you know. So you, Dave's got a I different forget. set of moves. Okay, I know. <laughs> shout shout to Dave. Shout to Dave. Uh, all right, so the first one up is Fires in the Distance, uh, the album Air Not Meant for Us that came out uh, 2023. It's got one review on it, a Metallum. It's 100%. So this is a 100% good. It's probably a review from Rick. Uh, so check it out. bands have that really like angry roar voice a lot of the time i love that voice man um that borders on guttural kind of uh in a way it's uh, uh that that was really cool man i didn't expect that little production kind of twist there where it started getting chunky that was cool like, yeah it really, I like that, really uh, yeah. the guitar tone really kind of cuts through um which is a nice standout thing i agree 100 percent yeah, I d- I'll definitely pass that along to Rick. Uh, thank you very much, Ezra. And I'm not going to even pretend like I remember how to pronounce the other band that he. All right. Well, that's going to take me a second too. The next one up is, uh, let's see, Trichomonasis. What the? I can't read. This is something something uh, French. Uh, Trichomoniasis. Trichomoniasis. Okay, they released two full-length albums this, or last year, 2023. This is from the album Makeshift Crematoria. Um, give this a listen, and let me know what you think. where ping has become completely self-aware of itself and it's yeah. like there's there's like there's been enough generations of ping bands where like like that that constant snare rolling and the vocals that's just ins- that's over the top yeah um, i love it though but it's so it, no, it's, there, yeah, there's something yeah. so intense about that that drum sound and then the vocals just being so soupy and stuff the gut reaction is for me anyway it was like Oh, this is the first time I've heard death metal. <laughs> it's really intense. Yeah. It's, it's it's awesome. Like I relate it and compare it to a bunch of things, but I think it kind of breathes on its own. Yeah, with so much ping out there, I could see that kind of rising uh, cream 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 of the crop type stuff. You know, the cream rises to the top. Um, thank you very much to Ezra for that one, man. Appreciate that. Trichomoniasis. Um, Bam. Yeah, trichom- trichomoniasis. I have. Uh, a listener, while we're on the topic, I um, I have a listener submitted email 
Um, that was that's a similar spirit. Stephen uh, Stephen Tuck, uh, listener Stephen Tuck writes, uh, "Yo, the Mike Hill episode you got my attention. The Mike Hill episode was great. Thank you, thank you to Mike Hill. But you called for emails, so here we go. Thank you very much." Uh, Will, if you're aiming to read more in 2024, here are some recommendos. Who's who's, who's going around telling people that I need to read more? What? <laughs> I feel like some of my ex bandmates and and when and, and no particular band got around telling somebody something. Yeah, right? the audience might be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they might be telling you something. Uh, don't let the accent fool you, man. I am fully literate as an adult. I'm a fully literate adult. Um, it is I, I who is not fully literate. <laughs> I'm jo- listen i'm joking and i I know Stephen tuck had the best intentions when he recommended i'm gonna read these out here man maybe you and the listeners get something out of this uh our fully functioning li- uh literate um uh, listeners themselves um author philip kerr k-e-double-r the bernie gunther series historical fiction set around world war ii dark smart and really cynical that's that's how I describe myself on dating apps. <laughs> I'm just nice. I'm just kidding. I don't have the courage to get on a dating app. You know what I always think about with dating apps, man? Tell me if this isn't me being, being paranoid. I get on a dating app. I say how whatever you do, you set up the profile and all that sort of thing. Um, I put up a picture there where I where I think I look attractive, right? I'm also trying to promote my bands, bro. What if somebody catches me out there? It's not that's a bad look. You know it's what a, I'm saying? You, it's a risk you should take. Mm, all right. I mean, I, it, I mean, look, I'm 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 ribbing on it for the podcast. I'm, sure, I'm no, no. On it a little bit. Yeah, and, and, but I'm just making the point, man. Like, you know, you, you don't want the wrong person catching you out there. You know, it's a dangerous world. I understand. I got a certain image to maintain. <laughs> People see me on stage. I got an image that, like, I'm one of these guys with the fucking long hair and the town. No, I do not look cool. I'm not a cool-looking metal guy on stage. I do this for the dorky guys. Speaking of which, author <laughs> Nick Nick Harkaway, The Gone Away World, sci-fi action horror. He is John LaCar's son. Do you know who John LaCar is? No. All right, I'm, Tell I me. I'm not, no, school I, I, No, no, that's, that's – no, Stephen – St- Stephen Tuck is trying to tell me as if I'm supposed to know who John LaCar is. Little does he know I do not have a college education. Um, but we're going to take... But you know who would know, actually? Probably uh, uh, Nick uh, Cacioppo, who's coming back on the show um, uh, shortly. Um, but anyway, uh, this book has a big curveball, a bit like that. Oh, we're base- it's a baseball book. I like that. <laughs> I can relate now. <laughs> Come on. This book has a big curveball, a bit like that movie Dust Till Dawn. Where you're lulled into thinking it's just an action western, and then boom, vampires. This book doesn't involve vampires, but it has everything else. Okay, man, that's interesting. Third book, Mick Heron, the Slough House series. Contemporary spy fiction, funny, dark, and cynical. When I first saw Mick Heron, the Slough House series, I really thought it was going to be like a 300-page book about the one-man drum machine gore grind band Slough. Mm. From the nine, I would read the shit out of that boy. Um, sh- shout to Rick Diamond, always welcome on the podcast. Uh, I, 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 a friend of a friend, I, I, I got to reach out. Um, continuing on this email though, on the music front, here is some stuff worth a spin. Uh, Tom, chime in if you're familiar with any of these. Teeth, a biblical worship of violence EP. No, never heard of that one. Um, I've heard yep. good things about teeth. From someone I don't like. 
Great. I'm, I'm busting balls out here. Come on, I'm joking. That that is. I've Gre- held that prejudice many times. Someone rubs you the wrong way, and then they tell you about yeah. band, and then you put it off for years. Oh. I would probably be so much more knowledgeable of Voivod and Death Spell Omega if it hadn't been for people in my life who yeah. turned me off. <laughs> let me let me keep going. Um, uh, Great Falls is the name of the, the, the artist, the group. Objects Without Pain, uh, Sludgy Noise Rock. Jerome's Dream, The Gray in Between. Are you familiar with that? I know a guy named Jerome. <laughs> Jerome. I, I actually don't. Jerome's Dream is a, I'm not too familiar with them, but they were a seminal kind of what was what was screamo before that word got kind of commercialized. If that if that makes sense, so you got to be a certain age to remember that. But um, the more screechy end of kind of like noisy, screechy hardcore in the '90s, Jerome's Dream, if I'm not mistaken, had something to do with that. But I am admittedly um, a little bit. Uh, ignorant. Um, they have a that. Wikipedia. Not my specialty. Which is very strange that I haven't heard of them because I've read every Wikipedia page. <laughs> Tom's trying to be AI. <laughs> He's trying to compete with AI. No, Jerome's Dream. I do know enough about them to know that they're like a seminal screamo band. I believe from the Midwest. We've. Uh, we, I think people uh, have brought them up on the podcast from here, and you know they are they are from Connecticut, and they were active okay. from okay. ninety seven okay. to two thousand one, and then they. Uh, they called it quits in 2001. Now, 2018 to president, president, they are back. They're doing it. Okay. All right. So that's definitely something I have to look into and possibly reach out um, to, to, to those guys because they obviously have a story to tell. Uh, fair enough. Next one is uh, Grivo, Grivo, G-R-I-V-O is the name of the artist. Elude is the name of the um, release. Shoegaze, he, he writes. Um, not, you know, admittedly... I'm not. I'm not big on shoegaze. I'm not even that big on like slower doom stuff. Yeah, you know. I, I, I'm not. I, I think that's. I I agree with you, just based on my lack of patience. Um, I don't weigh in on this kind of stuff. It's just not for me. This shoegaze thing. But, um, they seem to have a pretty big following. Well, yeah, and when I when I when I say it like when I say it like that, I mean like the like the genre, the sound is just not something I've really like wrapped my head around. Yeah, yeah. I I admittedly haven't sampled like the you know the greatest albums of that genre or subgenre or whatever. It's just something about down tempo music. Um, and you'd think that being like a big fat guy, I would be more more into that, man. More not all that, great big fat crow- guys listen to Crowbar. <laughs> I'm <coughs> just kidding, man. I love Crowbar. Um, <clears throat> crowbar. Um, they with, pick up um, the pace, though. They, they do it well. I love Crowbar. I always said Crowbar. You know when you have, like, a record player and you got that, like, 33, uh, 45? Like, it's Crowbar always sounded to me like if you took Hatebreed and slowed it down. Yeah. As a I know record, exactly what kinda, you mean. Like, there's a certain, certain records kind of, you know, vibe, vibe off of each other, man. Um uh, there was hold on, g- give me one second. There was something about crowbar um, in the in the news lately. Yeah, uh, you, you gotta give my old mind a minute here. Let me just jump on the old crowbar social media and see what happened that I remember them for in the list. See. Oh, it's because they're touring with the young guys, Morbid Visions. Um, great band, Morbid Visions. Great band. Ever ever come across them, Tom? Young uh, death metal band out in the game? No, I haven't. Was fortunate enough to do a few shows with them when Exsanguinated went on the road in uh, June of last year. Um, they're on my list 
totally backed up on guests. Tom, how many interviews have I sent you in like oh, the last two or three weeks? A lot. We got we got a minimum of six or seven just in the can. Yeah, just so Morbid Visions, yeah, guys, don't take it personal. Man. There's so many people who I've met and, uh, you know, cross paths I'd love to get on the show, and I'm trying to check everybody off the list while I also try to get to those, like, OG legacy people to interview them. And it's it's tough, man. So um, Morbid Visions definitely a band I wish I had on the show uh, before they started touring with Crowbar and blew up and sold out. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Those guys know I love them. Uh, Morbid Visions, great band. Catch them on tour with Crowbar coming up. Let's try um, this. Uh, if you are going to see Crowbar and Morbid Visions and you're talking to those guys at the merch table, tell them that we want them and that we're the best show. Basically the best yeah. show. So yeah. they should be doing it. Earworm them. Get a, get Do some marketing for us, okay? Yeah. They, they drank beers with me on my, like, 40... What am I now? I think forty. I think I'm forty one. My forty first birthday. <laughs> they drank. These guys are like like twenty, twenty one, twenty two. They're no. They're definitely over twenty one. Allegedly. Um. Yeah. Yeah. They're going well. Now that we got it out. Yeah. Crowbar with special guest Morbid Visions. The thirtieth of March. It starts off in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh. They hit. They hit. Uh. Baton Rouge, Memphis, Dallas, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Fort Wayne, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Joliet, Illinois. Indianapolis, Indiana, Columbus, Ohio, Huntington, West Virginia, Philadelphia, and then Virginia beats VA on the 14th of uh, April. So, yeah, go ch- go check that out, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a good bill. It's a great bill. Morbid Vision's a great young band. I'm really, you know, not not that I don't think Crowbar supports the scene or anything. It's just surprising to see Crowbar taking a young band out and just doing a, you know, a cool tour like that. It's, it's pretty, um, uh, I would say, credible, you know. It's great. Yeah, street cred. Um, okay, and then um, that other thing I told you about, we're going to save that for another one uh, down the road there, Tom. Um, but it's been great hanging with you. Uh, you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Um, thank thank you, you very much to Catacomb Records. If you're in the Dayton area, we encourage you to look up Catacomb Records, brick-and-mortar store, stop by and check out all that stuff that we just talked about and listen to all the music that we checked out today. Thank you to Ezra from Texas. Thank you to Steve Tuck. Uh, listeners, if you want to send us an email, it's heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us a voicemail, the number should be in the description wherever you're listening to this. Catch us on the social media. Um, Tom, yeah, what's I'm up, Yeah, I'm the man? delay on the voicemail thing. So Ezra and anyone else who wants to leave one, sorry for the delay. We're, we will get to all of them. Are there any more in there? No, there's no more right now. We don't, we don't exactly <laughs> get rained on, but this one was left uh, a month ago. So just throwing it out there. <clears throat> Appreciate well, that, it. Well, that's right. I mean, I might as well, if you're this far into the episode, you're definitely a, a true heavy hole listener. But, um, you know, truthfully, I did a bunch of interviews. So if you did an interview with me around the holidays or in January and you're still waiting for the episode to drop, it's going to come out. Um, but we are on a little bit of a backlog. I had a family issue. Every Everybody's cool. Everything's cool, thankfully. But um, I had a family issue, so I, I got up a, a big backlog of interviews and episodes ready to go be, before I had to... Uh, uh, commit to helping somebody out a little bit, man. So that's why um, uh, things are a little off kilter lately, man. Too. So it's not. It's not. It's not just Tom down there drawing on the sketchbook, forgetting to do stuff all day, man. How's the Never tattoos up. going, man? Uh, yeah, you, that's you, you, that's my other venture. Uh, that I'm I'm trying to get into tattooing. Uh, a slow, <laughs> slow growth, and um, it's fun, man. I used to do some tattoo stuff back uh, twelve years ago. And then I got pulled away from it because of 
professional reasons, and I've decided to do that again. So I've picked up a new rotary machine, and I'm blasting away on some oranges and some fake skin. And Is that what you do? Them. You tattoo oranges for practice? That's what that's what people do? Yeah, I mean, it's not... So oranges are... They're a lot gentler than human skin in terms of, like, when they'll break and blow out and stuff, but it's kind of good control yeah. practice because it's so curved. So be able to All keep right. the needle at the same depth without blowing out skin. It's good practice. What about, like, can you just go to, like, the local uh, jail or prison? Just, like, like, you know, like, let me just blast a couple of these guys out real quick. I mean, you know? I live in Savannah. That People will just w- w- let me do it on the street. It's fine. So I'm saying, like, like, the way, you know, like, you go to a barber school, barber college, and get a free haircut. You know, yeah. that type of thing. There's got to be something like that for tattoos, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I've talked to a few people. I'm going <laughs> to. Allegedly. But I'm not, alleged. you know, I'm balancing my yeah. uh, current profession with my uh, soon-to-be newer profession. Uh, but I can't treat it like a full-on thing because I have a, a mortgage to pay. So, slow tapering. Um, you know, that, that programming stuff I talked about two years ago. I was trying to get into that shit. Um I hated it so much. Oof. I spent a lot of time learning C sharp, and uh, I needed to want to get out of the field. And I just fucking hated it. And uh, that kind of feeling happened again. And then I remembered I knew how to tattoo. So yeah, yeah, there's there's yeah. a fun thing doing that. Wow, again. damn, bro. That's um. I wish you the best of luck with that. I mean, I see. I don't have any tattoo. I don't really. It was never my. It's like I said before. I said earlier in the episode. I'm not the guy that looks cool on stage. I don't have any tattoos. I don't do this. It's just never been my thing. I'm not against it. It's like, I just, it's not my thing. I spe- I was spending all my money on weed in my t- 20s, you know? I can honestly say there's a lot of people with tattoos that I don't think should have tattoos. That so- is true. Nowadays, the tattoo, I mean, it's not just nowadays. It's like the last 20 years, the tattoo yeah. thing spiraled out of control to the point yeah. where like, like, like people just get tattoos on their face as like a fashionable thing. It's very, very weird. Um, it's it's almost weird to see someone in the wild, in, at, at, like a millennial without a tattoo. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. Um, huh. I don't know. You go to the beach; everyone's got some piece of shit on them, and it's like you know, <laughs> most tattoos suck, and that's okay. Like that's part of it; it's the fun and all that crap. But um, I don't know. You know. I, I'm just uh, it's fun. I like I like doing it, and uh, I get a chance to listen to some music, which is nice because my other job requires my audio attention constantly. So that's another thing that yeah, drives me up the yeah. wall. I can't listen to music. I can't listen to the shows I want to listen to. So now when I'm tattooing, I can put that shit on the background. I've been listening to a shit ton of uh, coast to coast old old Art Bell broadcasts. Uh, I've so yeah 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 definitely somebody I uh, admire in terms of uh, like broadcasting and journal I you know this 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 podcast is is um it's kind of like my way to like you know uh, vent that 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 part of my personality that that wishes I was some sort of like music journalist slash broadcaster type personality you know what I mean man I I definitely see I I hear you and I respect hey man if the if the if the listening pool was bigger in terms of like how many people listen to heavy music, I think you would do a great adjacent heavy death metal uh, Art Bell style show, a call-in show. People call in, kind of complain oh. to you or tell you a story about how they were, you know, they they were listening to a Blood Incantation album and they saw the alien they were talking about. 
Well, I, I've always thought about doing a call-in style show. I know... Yeah, uh, we kicked that around a bit. The Star Report on YouTube, he does a great one that's more hip-hop uh, based. But um, yeah, regardless, man, who you never know what the future holds, man. But um, I, I always kind of tr- thought I styled myself more as like a Rush Limbaugh. But yeah. instead of like... Instead of like using, um, you know, radio banter to push a right wing agenda, I'm like using younger upcoming death metal bands to to push my bands. Right. That that I'm still struggling with at age 42. It's, it's almost more, the it's, same thing. It's not political. It's like just like a, a, a I'm a hell bent egotistical death metal singer who refuses to die, um, or give up. And That's I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm I almost that. like a. Well, I'm I'm almost like a vampire because I'm using these younger bands I interview. Shout out to Gordon Brace um to to kind of uh just like just like piggyback off of their youthful energy like uh you ever see Bram Stoker's Dracula? Oh, I love that one. Like the I'm like not the cool again, not the cool looking guy on stage. I'm not the cool Dracula with like the, the shades and the long black hair. Yeah, the tiny you little know? uh nineties uh matrix glasses. So sick though. Yeah, beckons yeah. Winona Ryder to him through no, I'm like the, the, the creepy powdery old one with the weird like the double beehive hairdo that's <laughs> climbing up the wall like i'm climbing up the wall outside of your house like that looking at your demo collection jimmy from the block right right well if you can get accepted by enough of these bands you will eventually suck the life force out enough to become the cool looking vampire hope that's the that's the goal that's the goal and then i'll have a better image for the stage and my bands will finally take off that's all it's about man jimmy for like it's kind of like jimmy from the block uh shout out to him it's kind of like that only instead of like like you know how Dracula comes comes between like the couple so he could have the wife. Like I'm coming between Jimmy's relationship with his demos so I could steal all of his death metal demos out from it. his safe that he stores them in. Um, all, right, I, all right, enough of this. This has gone off I, the rails, and I love it. <sighs> this is what I do now on the podcast. Tom. This is <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do this for hours, and I'm not even recording, and I'm not even in a Zoom call with anyone. Right. Um, Still with that. The pros call that practice. Uh, yeah, so that's it, man. You caught any shows down there in Georgia while I'm switching the subject? Uh, yeah, so you know what? Let's save it for the next episode because we're going to oh, frame another one. Why not? All right, man. He turned around on me real good, man. That was a good one. 